Hey listeners, welcome to a bonus episode of Maintenance Disrupted. As part of the upcoming Lubrication Reliability Virtual Summit, we just could simply not get in all of the great speakers in time for the event. So we wanted to run a special episode to get the word out and get these great speakers out on the podcast before the event. Up first, we have Joe Anderson. COO at Reliability X. Our friends at Reliability X are really trying to break down a different business model, a different view from consulting. Joe brings with him a lot of experience on the plant floor as a maintenance manager and talking about what do you need to do to become more effective, more efficient. And there is a difference between just being efficient and being effective, as Joe so aptly explains. To, to sell that program, your lubrication program, up the ladder and what you need to do there. And then we switch over to Paul Hiller, the marketing manager at ICML. ICML is International Council for Machinery Lubrication, which I'm sure you know because this is obviously focused on uh, lubrication and reliability. And what Paul starts to talk about is what is ICML 55.1? How does that link to ISO 55,000, that asset management um, strategy, and linking and creating that asset management thinking into your lubrication program. So he's going to talk about what it is, what is in it, and how that correlates to the ISO 55,000 standard. Why use it at all? Can't you just find this information on Google? And how should I apply what's in the standard, the check, act, plan, do type of thinking? I hope you enjoy this special podcast as we come near the date of the Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit taking place on September and 14th, 14th and 15th, 2001. Hey, Joe, welcome to the Maintenance Disrupted Podcast. Thanks for having me, Blair. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Um, so, Joe, why don't you give the listeners a quick overview of who you are and your company? Um, I am the... COO and, and partner at Reliability X. Um, George and I founded the company. Well, he founded it really early on, but I joined as a partner um, about two years ago, almost three years ago now, I guess. Uh, but what we do, uh, of course, we focus on all things maintenance, um, asset management, reliability, and operations. Um, our big niche is uh, what we call plant turnarounds. Uh, utilizing uh, loss analysis to analyze the areas of loss within your facility and effectively gain those back um, in order to reduce costs. Um, that's a lot of what we do. We do a lot of training, um, just about everything in maintenance, operations, reliability as well, um, as well as a lot of coaching and mentoring. Um, so we've been working with uh, maintenance managers, um, asset managers, uh, and different industries and organizations uh, to try to, you know, help basically be there um, to help them through their journey. Um, so it's been great, you know, business has been good and uh, I can't good. complain. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, George and I always connect. We always jokingly say we follow each other around here and we had them on the podcast. It's, it's great to see. And I love that niche focus. It opened my eyes too around that loss analysis and starting with that and working at that, filling those gaps. I think it's a, it's an untraditional approach in a, in a very traditional consulting market. Right. Um, yeah. And, if you... and it also exposes um, to no fault of their own. Uh, the fact that maintenance 
typically isn't a, the problem within the organization. Um, and the problem is, is that uh, we don't bucket our losses correctly. We normally have two buckets, unplanned and planned downtime. And so, therefore, by default, unplanned downtime falls on maintenance, which isn't true. Um, a piece of that does, which is called a breakdown. Um, but there's, you know, seven, six other losses within the unplanned downtime categories that don't get accounted for. And a lot of that's because it's become such a part of the picture. It's normal everyday life that, you know, they don't recognize that these two, three, four minute stops or, you know, reducing the speed of your machine because you can't overcome those stops is actually a significant amount of the losses within your organization. So, you know, it's been good. A lot of case studies coming out now and, and people seeing the successes. Uh, so it's always been good. Good. And I think, you know, where a true consultant comes in is, is that, you know, the, the, the ideal, and it, it does go across against some models that I've seen out there, but the intent is, intent is to, um, you know, for the, for the client doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. And one of the advantages that you guys are bringing in you in particular, and the reason why on this podcast around lubrication and reliability virtual summit is your experience as a maintenance manager. So you've been there, done that in the maintenance field. And yeah, 20, to... 20 plus years. Uh... Is that it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So you've seen, you've seen, you've got the scars to prove it, right? Yeah. And through different industries and different organizations. So I've been able to um, make it better as I leave one organization, go to the next. So and we're at that time now where it's time to share it with others. That's right. Mm, I think we all appreciate that. And, and just from a reliability X point of view, you and George put out tremendous content for free, right? To, to work in the, the, um, um, you know, to ed- educate people, right? It's right. Just, yeah. I mean, the goal is to make everyone better. Uh, if we get business out of it, that's great. If we don't, that's great. Um, our intention is to make the whole industry better. Um, and so, you know, regardless of whether or not we benefit from it or not, right. it doesn't really matter. That's not a focus of ours. Right. Our focus is to help people. So, so when you look at in particular, you know, using your experience as a maintenance manager in, in, you know, lubrication programs, mm-hmm. how does a maintenance manager do that? What are some of the hurdles? What, what have you seen in implementing lubrication best practices? Um, I'm cut from a different cloth than most. So my approach is not recommended for everyone, <laughs> um, but I'm the type of guy when you hire me, the assumption is that I'm the subject matter expert. And so going and asking for permission to do things just isn't in my blood. It's I'm there to go do. And um, if things happen, then we'll ask for forgiveness, you know. And so um, but my, my key is here is is effectiveness versus efficiency. And the problem is, is people use those terms synonymously and they don't quite understand exactly what they are. When effectiveness is doing all the right things and efficiency is making things better, you could be doing all the wrong things and make them more efficient and see benefits, you know, see some benefits, but you're not going to see the benefits that you can create if you're not effective. So the goal, especially with the lubrication program, is what are the 
effectiveness items, you know, that we need to address. And those are all your foundational things to set up a best practice lubrication program. You know, your storage, your handling, um, your disposal, those types of things, um, proper lubricants for the proper application and the proper amount, you know, implementing oil analysis and even grease analysis. Um, we did a lot of, especially on robots and stuff to make sure um, because they're grease packed gearboxes uh, to make sure those things are effective. So, and then how do you document all those things to share with the organization? And how do you speak to certain levels of management, right? There's basically three tiers of, of people that you have to understand and speak their language to. What we do is we make the assumption that when we talk, people understand, and that isn't the case. And so we get frustrated. We see hurdles um, and things like that. But if we understand that, for example, upper level management, a lot of your focus is going to be on the finances. You're going to put a dollar value to the things you're doing and how you're saving or avoiding, you know, um, certain costs, uh, those types of things where your peers, your mid-level management, um, it's more about for them, it's really quality of life and confidence in your abilities. And so reducing downtime events um, for the operation manager is huge because that's something they don't have to worry about. And they, and that develops credibility and confidence um, within you as a maintenance manager, you know, to, to uh, continue to implement the things that you need to do. And you'll start to see people that will jump in because success breeds success. And then when you're talking to people that, you know, that you lead, it's more about quality of life you know, making your job easier, doing a lot more of the fun things than the firefighting stuff that's stressful. And, and of course, there's your, you know, few mechanics that love that environment, but it's up to you to get them to understand what truly what maintenance is. Um, and so, and by doing that, especially through lubrication, lubrication is, I call it one of the big three, the 70% items. You know, cleanliness, lubrication, and proper tightening techniques statistically typically eliminate about 70% of your issues in your facility. And so gone are the days where you hand the noob the grease gun and laugh at him and go, yeah, this guy's an idiot. Ha ha, here's the grease gun. And you still see that a lot today in the industry when that guy is one of the most important people in the industry. And to sit there and see mechanics laughing at the lube guy right. when he's out there putting defects into your system. And now you have to deal with it. And you wonder why you're in this vicious cycle. Right. Um, That's a so, great analogy. And, and just stop on that moment. So you said, yeah. you know, around there is, is proper lubrication techniques and tightening. Mm -hmm. And cleanliness. So, for example... When we talk about cleanliness, people think it's just wiping down a machine. And that mm -hmm. isn't, you know, you clean to inspect, right? So you're keeping things clean so that you can see problems out on the floor. But that also applies to things like oil cleanliness, keeping your oil clean, right? And knowing that, you know, there's life extension charts out there that show you based on the cleanliness level that you can achieve, say, within a gearbox or within a hydraulic sump. Um, that extend the life of the assets, which is the goal of maintenance. Okay, so it's a combination of, of cleaning 
and lubrication. And then of course, tightening that's using torque specs, properly torquing things, right? People don't understand that you walk out to a machine and you see a bolt missing, um, holding one of the motors to a gearbox. They don't even look at that. They look completely past it. And then six months later, all the, this actually happened to me. This, <laughs> this motor sits overhead of this big machine, right? Motor falls off. It's coupled. It's a coupled uh, motor. Yeah. Motor falls off into another machine that's running. Completely destroys the machine, right? I mean, it cost us, you know, like $150,000 in, in parts, labor, and lost production in order to get this line back up and running again. So that one bolt that started it all that we thought wasn't an issue cost us $150,000. Just like that. Right. And so understanding those simple three things, you know, it can do wonders in your facility and looking at those little things and understanding those are your leading indicators of the bigger thing that's getting ready to happen. So those things should be important and you should address those things and do them properly. Fantastic. Now the, the other part you're talking about is, is, you know, acknowledging the work you've done, taking credit for the work that's being done. Right. What, what's your stance on that? Uh, I, I think we, some, some maintenance managers, not all, but some, are a lot like engineers. They're not very effective communicators. And so being able to sell your cause is highly important. Being a good order and working on those skills and understanding, like I said, the levels of people that you're speaking to. Um, a lot of times what we do is we just assume that people know that we're doing good things. And, and when you make that assumption, you're effectively, you're basically not communicating and you're not giving yourself or your team credit for the awesome things that they're doing. And so, you know, utilizing maybe an email because of, you know, you found a bad gearbox with your oil analysis and you changed it out during planned downtime where normally this thing would fail during production and we would lose those things. There's a dollar value to that as well as a value in showing your competence and your team's competence, which goes a long ways in developing credibility. And, and, and we don't give ourselves the credit. And so documenting these things, sharing those things, um, understanding you know, there's tools out there or you can create your own tools um, to log these things and then communicate and share them. I think it's highly important. Not giving yourself credit or your team credit is one of the worst things that you can do to your credibility. And so with when you have credibility, I can easily go to anyone in the plant, the plant manager, the operations manager. It doesn't matter when I speak, they listen because I have credibility with them. When I say this machine, we have to take it down because of X, Y, and Z, they trust that I know what I'm talking about and that I'm going to, to the best of my ability, make sure that this machine comes back up and running better than it was before because I've developed that credibility where a lot of frustrations with maintenance managers is they say, Oh, 
they'll never give me the machine. And that's because you have no credibility. And what are you doing to develop that credibility? Right. And a lot of that can come, especially through your lubrication program, because those are a lot of quick wins. Um, a lot of things that you can utilize to show the value to the organization that it, it brings. And like I said, it goes a long way for your credibility. And I think, yeah, that, that was, that was perfect. I mean, that, 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 that dialogue right there around building, I get asked from, from the technology side all the time, you know, how do we, you know, I, I can't get buy-in, um, you know, on new technology and all that kind of stuff. Right. And the same analogy. And I agree, you, you said it perfectly or like the, there's a lot of quick wins that can happen in the lubrication space. Right. Yep. But, but documenting it often documenting things that could have happened to the avoidance side is, is, um, a little more difficult, especially if you have that had that failure before. And I think where everyone's going to appreciate this talk, Joe, is you've been there, yep. right? Is yeah. this is very practical. A lot of the stuff that we can hear, you know, in there is is, is theoretical. It's you know best case scenario and, and do this, 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 right? But this is yep. this is very practical. And you even said it up front, you know, uh, it's easier to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission type guy you are, right? Um, so you're going to go out and do it, but it, that that's not a one size fits all depending on. It's not, but, but the key is you have to execute regardless or you'll, you'll sit and make excuses. It's one of the two. That's right. And the key to effectiveness, one of the key tenets of effectiveness is influence. And the way you develop influence is you go get those quick wins. And so we all know what we need to do, especially from a lubrication perspective. Most of us that have any level of training know what we need to do the problem is is we don't do it because we go ask if we can do it instead of just doing it you have a budget it's your money how you you know what i mean <laughs> you're the subject matter expert and you know to me it's you hired me for a reason so i'm gonna make it better right you know and uh and then if you have a problem with that and you have a problem with success and lower costs and and all those types of things, we can discuss it. But who is going to argue when you're seeing your downtime go down, your costs are going down, your costs to produce, all that type of stuff? Who, who's going to come back to you and be mad at that? No one. Right. And <laughs> so, you know, getting quick wins, developing that influence and credibility allows you to become more effective. That's perfect. And understanding the difference. And I like the way you put that between effectiveness and efficiency. Yeah. I Excellent. Mean, we have to separate those two terms. Exactly. Well, that, that was great, Joe. Appreciate it. Really looking forward to your, your presentation at the upcoming Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit, as I'm sure many people will. And for your listeners, tune into this one. This is a very practical boots on the ground, been there, done that. This is what I've learned type presentation. And it, it always is from, from Joe and, and George. There's no beating around the bush, um, yeah. which, which we always appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on here. I appreciate it. Anytime, Joe. Yeah, thank you. All right, listeners, don't stop listening quite yet. Up next, we have a quick, short interview with Paul Hiller from ICML about the new ICML 55.1 standard. Good afternoon, Paul. Welcome to the Maintenance Disrupted Podcast. Thank you very much, Blair. I am happy to be here. Great. And and going into this, before we get into a quick introduction, Paul, it was I read the abstract and and I realized quite 
uh, quite early on that I really don't know much about ICML and a lot of the standards that are out there. So this is going to be a very good learning experience um, for me as well, as you talk about uh, uh, the 55.1 standard that's out there. But um, just for our audience, can you give a brief introduction of who you are and, and your company? Oh, certainly. I'm uh, the marketing manager at ICML. Uh, the International Council for Machinery Lubrication has been around for just over 20 years. We are currently celebrating our first 20 years of operation. And um, we first and foremost were uh, established as a certification body. We're vendor neutral, we're nonprofit, and our, our claim to fame uh, originally for years was the certification programs for uh, machinery lubrication and oil analysts and laboratory uh, oil analysts as well. And uh, concurrent with that, we had established an awards program for industry um, lubrication and oil analysis excellence at uh, different facilities and all. So those awards are issued to plants, not to people. And um, in addition to being a certification body and an awards body, ICML is also a membership body and more recently a standards body with the introduction of ICML 55. So I came on board a few years ago to try to help uh, establish some marketing strategy and um, uh, expand on our membership benefits and our marketing tactics because we just have so many things going on. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, you see ICML everywhere when you start to, to play in the circles we do, right? Uh, All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That means I'm doing something right. You, you've done something <laughs> right. If that means it gets out there to a raise, congratulations. <laughs> um, and, and, and more specifically, there, there are a number of ICML standards that are out there, correct? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. And I've got, uh, I've got a, a timeline here of when they rolled out, but uh, that's not uh, especially important. But the um, the bread and butter programs are the MLA for machine lubricant analyst and the MLT for machinery lubrication technician. And the difference between those, if you think kind of think of it at a high level as a, uh, an analyst is the person who's doing oil sampling and uh, some root cause analysis for various issues, whereas the lubrication technician would be a little upstream of that with the actual development of a uh, program for maintenance and uh, application and filtering and stuff like that. The actual hands-on, we're dealing with hands-on practitioners on all these. Um, so it's the, the, uh, the people who are actually working on the machines. The LLA is the uh, third certification and that's for laboratory lubricant analysts and they are the ones who would be working at on-site or third-party labs who will be uh, analyzing the samples that come in and uh, providing reports and discussing with your maintenance team um, what they're finding and then uh, most recently we rolled out the MLE which is a machinery lubrication engineer certification, and that's a, a more managerial level, broad scope, soup to nuts, lubrication program kind of a certification. And that was actually developed in conjunction with this ICML 55 standard. And that was done on purpose. Excellent. And so when I go and read through this abstract, it, there's mm -hmm. no coincidence that um, the ISO 
uh, a number of years ago. And I remember when this came, this first um, came out was the ISO 55,000 asset yep. management standard, right? And then there is the, um, you know, the kind of the what it is and how to do it type approach to the, that ISO standard. And, and if anyone hasn't read that, it, it's, it's not a put you to sleep kind of standard. It was, it was, it was well-written. And I know a lot of the members on, on that committee that, that brought that forward. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what was great about that is, is, it, you know, it talked about asset management from, you know, what, what um, many people call cradle to grave, right. Uh, right. Around that whole aspect. And it, and it seems what you guys done at the ICML is, is, is used a similar approach around um, the, the, ISO 55,000 standard and brought that in to the lubrication world. That is correct. The, uh, the ICML leaders and uh, volunteers we had at the time saw what, what, you, what you're describing here is a well-written document. It covered everything, uh, all kinds of assets, not just the physical assets that our certified practitioners would be dealing with, but other uh, uh, financial assets and intangible assets. So the a broad spectrum and they saw the value in it. They liked the structure of it, but uh, they also realized that for our audience to benefit as much as they could from the ISO document, there is a huge gap between the um, the the content provided by ISO and what these hands-on practitioners were going to need to implement any of it. There's this huge chasm, you know, and, and so recognizing the value and the structure that's uh, they, they put together a team and said, you know, we could build a lubrication specific version of the ISO asset management standard. And tool it specifically for our audience. And this makes perfect sense because ICML exists to provide uh, support for these uh, these kinds of programs to support for the individual practitioners and for the industry as a whole. So the the end game here was thinking if we could come up with a lubrication specific version of this document, then lubrication maintenance teams could adequately uh, develop asset management plans for their lubricated machinery, implement it, and then that will help their company or their plant or facility. uh, That'll help move toward the ISO 55,000 compliance. And it can, which which is great, even if a plant's not going for the ISO compliance, of course, Blair, uh, a lubrication department can still take this lubrication specific version, our, IS, our ICML 55.1 standard, and apply it and come up with a fantastic uh, asset management program from a lubrication standpoint. So, yeah, it was purposely structured that way to be a, um, uh, to be kind of a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? A, a supportive standard for ISO. Right. Yeah. Supportive, complimentary uh, for someone looking complimentary. At, there's a good one. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. It's not too often I come up with good words. I just mumble a bunch of things until they, they come out or I talk really quick. So no one catches it. Um, yeah. And, and what, so what this standard is called, I believe it's called the requirements for the optimized lubrication of mechanical physical assets. Is that correct? correct. Yes. The, um, 
uh, our standard is comprised, or excuse me, our standard comprises three documents, same as ISO 55,000. So there's the requirements document, which is 55.1, the guidelines document, which is 55.2, and then the auditor's manual, uh, in our case, uh, which is 55.3. And so far, we've only published 55.1. There's so much content in there and so much work that a plant can um, use and get going with 55.1 that we didn't want to wait until the other parts were written and present them all three together. That would have been great, but impractical for us to do. So we had a team of 45 people uh, contributing to the content of 55.1, the requirements standard. Excellent. And so, we rolled it out in April 2019, so just over two years ago. Oh, okay, good. Interesting to know. Um, and what's the feedback been? Um, I'm sure you're not going to tell me uh, anything negative, but uh, like, <laughs> I, I can only assume it. And what really caught my eye is, you know, the, the intent of this was to, as you put in here, was to lay out a comprehensive tactical framework. And that word right there is, is the tactical framework. It's not pie in the sky, unicorns and rainbows, right? It's a, it's a tactical framework for organizations to establish, implement, maintain, and improve consistent lubrication management systems and activities. Right. Uh, are you a do-it-yourselfer kind of guy, Blair? I, I have yet to, to read very little instructions when I do anything first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that might be common through all of us. Um, but yes, uh, very much so. Um, I was uh, just reading an article today about outsourcing the development of a lubrication uh, program, and which is probably not an uncommon practice mm -hmm. among some uh, facilities. But um, for those that are wanting to have a good grasp of trying to do it in-house, then uh, a lot of my presentation at the LRVS talks about, well, it, it's kind of geared toward thinking of the ICML 55.1 standard as a do-it-yourself kind of a document and uh, a DIY. But a DIY approach doesn't mean you have to start from scratch. It, um, it means that you're not necessarily just going to hire somebody to come in and do it for you. So reading the instructions ahead of time, for uh, you know, replacing a sink faucet, or you know, doing something on your car, or what have you, uh, would make or dealing with electricity would make perfect sense at home if you've got a project to do and you acquire your information from sources that you trust, with authors and contributors that you trust know more than you yourself do, and so you compile that information and then you have a sense of of, of what to do. And from a do-it-yourself standpoint, and I'm sure I'm digressing from whatever question you asked me two minutes ago, and I apologize, but, um, you know, I would have a general idea of what to accomplish for doing some project at home. And there may be people listening to this podcast who have a general idea of what to do to develop a lubrication uh, program for their machinery assets. What's interesting is Anytime you go and start to try to find uh, some, some good source material to help you accomplish your project as a DIY person, 
and you find uh, there's little tidbits and, and practices and questions you should be asking and things you should be paying attention to that you may not have thought of uh, before and what you certainly wouldn't have come up with on your own. And so it's like, oh, I'm so glad I did this research and now I have other things I should be paying attention to and prioritizing. I hadn't thought of that. I didn't think of that either. So the ICML 55.1 uh, requirement standard is 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 a compilation of all these requirements that a, a, a solid program is going to require uh, to, to have some attention given to these, uh, these requirements. It's organized in uh, 12 areas, the actual standard is. So every area of a, like the whole life cycle of, of the uh, lube and the, the machinery, everything is kind of laid out in there in certain areas with some instructions on how you should read these uh, and, and proceed to go through these requirements and get everything up to speed. By the time the 55.2 comes out, which is targeted for next year, that'll be the guidelines book, which will go into a lot more detail for implementation and with you know charts and diagrams and photos and all this, this uh, uh, level of detail that's not in 55.1. 55.1 is kind of the lead in, so it's not even a how-to book. It's not going to tell you exactly how to implement it to your plant because your plant is unique. Every machine is unique to your situation. So, um, so the so this is this is essentially a framework for um, you know or a roadmap, if you will, for what you should be looking at to get from point A to point Z and cover that chasm. Um, that was left after the ISO document came out. Perfect. I've already forgotten what your question was. I was just sitting here talking. No, and it, you answered a, a lot of them along the way. And I have one question. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I can only assume you're going to answer this, but where does this, sorry, you're going to answer it in the presentation. Uh, <laughs> you know, with, with, you know, I, I come across a lot of MLTs and a lot of MLAs and a lot of both. Um, yep. Where does this standard fit in with those other ones? Is it is it a like is is MLA MLT a prerequisite to fifty five point one in any of those standards or certifications, or is it is it meant for a different persona? I see what you're saying. Um, no, it's it probably most closely correlates to the MLE, the Machinery Lubrication Engineer. Um, that was also rolled out at the exact same time as the 55.1 standard in April 2019. So the MLE was developed alongside the standard, um, and it pulls from all areas. So it pulls some of its body of knowledge and resources from the MLA and the MLT, probably even the LLA a little bit. Um, so the the MLE you used I, I used the phrase soup to nuts. What was the one you used? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, for the whole the the whole comprehensive you know start to finish. Um, oh, uh, cradle to grave. Cradle to grave. The MLE is is ideally very well suited for somebody who's responsible for developing a lubrication program from scratch. And so its body of knowledge 
is broken up into 24 areas. It's massive. The test is bigger. We allow four hours for it, not just three. Um, but it was developed concurrent with ICML 55, which as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is structured on 12 areas. Pattern, it's patterned after the ISO 55,000 document, and it covers 12 areas. Now, the you think, well, why is it so small compared to the MLE 24 areas? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they just wanted it a little bit more granular for the MLE uh, to, to break up different categories of the information. But essentially, somebody who takes an MLE and passes that and gets that credential is well suited to uh, to understand and be able to apply the ICML 55 effectively on a program, whether starting from scratch or whether going to an existing program and trying to identify where things need to be beefed up. So uh, I hope that answers your question. But uh, there's a lot of crossover between the content of the MLA and MLT. Strangely, not strangely, but um, uh, the MLE does not have a, a, a training or an education requirement to it. Um, the, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, there is the, the expectation of like five years of education or on the job training, but there's not, you don't have to have an MLA or an MLT or what have you to take the MLE. It would be very helpful if you did. Um, uh, MLA two or MLA three, you know, would get you well on your way toward having uh, an understanding, but MLE is an even broader, broader scope. Understood. Understood. And because th there's just a lot of aspects around uh, machinery lubrication, right? And you're trying to cover out every, every persona possible that is, is relevant to creating, you know, a, what do you call an optimal lubrication program from what you call it the practitioners oh. taking the samples to the engineers to you know th those people that are creating the entire program from from a top right down. and the program necessarily includes aspects that i mean if you think oh uh um any one of our other certifications in mla or an mlt isn't necessarily going to include a scope of a program that includes waste management or energy conservation or uh you know, they might touch on those a little bit, but the MLE in concordance with the ICML 55.1 standard specifically has areas that address those topics. Um, Interesting. Yep. Yeah. So it's a whole, and when we say, you know, cradle to grave or soup to nuts, it, it's got to cover everything because every program has, you know, reclamation issues or conservation issues. And in fact, the uh, ICML 55 has a component for continuous improvement. And that's not something that's necessarily covered in uh, the MLA or MLT certifications. It is a, um, a component of the MLE certification where one of the body of knowledge areas is program metrics. And then the 55.1 standard, the 12th area has to do with management of the lubrication program itself, which necessarily includes addressing the life cycle of equipment, life cycle of lube and continuous improvement process, which is the uh, plan, do, check, act cycle. That's used in the uh, ISO document as well. So it's brought forward here because it's a good method for 
uh, you know, making your improvements and then and then observing and figuring out if it's doing what you want and constantly improving your program in each of the 12 areas with that uh, iterative improvement process. It's all in there. Excellent. And I think, you know, you have a challenge because obviously there's a lot of detail, a lot of um, information contained in this standard to get this all out during your time slot is going to be tough. But essentially what you're going to do is you're going to go over what is ICML, ICML 55.1 requirement standard and what it is not. And I think that's important to look at the, the flip side of it saying what it is not. You're going to look at what is in it in terms of the correlation as you just talked about the 12 areas of, of huh? ISO 55,000. Um, why use it at all, right? Can't, and you're gonna address the issue, can't I find all the same content on Google? I don't want you to answer this because that is going to be the cliffhanger to drive people um, to your presentation. Um, and then how should I actually apply what's in the standard? And that's when you go back to that plan, do, check, act uh, right. piece of it. So Paul, thank you very much. You answered a lot of the questions I had in my head just through natural dialogue. So I appreciate it. Um, I'm really looking forward to this presentation. I'm, a, as I said, I'm a big fan of the ISO 55,000 um, framework that was put out. And um, uh -huh. I just know through the over 40 recognized industry expert that the industry experts that contributed to this document, the same type of expertise is going to come out in this doc or already is out in this document. So really look forward to you sharing this information. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you have an appreciation for this. And um, it's been enjoyable visiting with you. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joe and Paul. Just a reminder, if you are at the Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit taking place on September 14th and 15th, please stop by the Maintenance Disrupted booth. We would love to chat with you. Maybe you have an idea about a podcast. You want to be on the podcast. You have a product or service. You think the listeners would benefit from the podcast. Please come our way. We would love to chat with any listeners. Uh, so hope to see you there.